Uh, well, welcome to uh, week number eight of the Alpha Course, and uh, I don't think I've been here since week number one, so if you guys were not in week number one, you don't know who I am, and I'm, uh, I'm Keith Collins, I'm one of the pastors here at Lakeview. Um, so I think we started off week one saying what, what a challenge it was to do this thing for 10 weeks. Well, you know, that's, that's hard to do anything for 10 weeks these days, but here you are, week eight. So the, the end is in sight. You can see a light at the end of the tunnel. You just have week nine and week 10. Week 10 is a massive graduation ceremony. Uh, listen, you get, you get like a diploma, an alpha diploma. You can take that to your boss, maybe ask for a raise after you get that. So you don't want to meet, miss graduation. Uh, but let me do point something out here. I think at your tables, there's a little set of flyers that are sitting there. Can you guys see that? Sitting there, I'm going to make you aware of this. This is what's called the Alpha Weekend, and it's coming up. It's not this weekend, but it's the next weekend. So it's a Friday night and a Saturday morning, and it's going to be the 18th and the 19th, if you want to just look on your calendar there and, and, and see if you can be a part of that. Uh, it's just something we do in addition to the Tuesday night setting, and it's just a little bit more of a, a moment, a little more laid back time just to, to interact with some good topics as well, again. Um, but let me just show you the little flyer here on this one side. If you can look at that with me, I'll read through it with you. It says, take some time. Right, one reason why many people fail to encounter and experience God in their life is simply because they don't take the time to get to know Him and give Him the opportunity to reveal Himself to them in a real way. And the Alpha Weekend is about giving God the chance to be real to you in a greater way. So I know if you've been attending most of Tuesday nights, you know, you've already kind of gotten to a place where you're giving God some time. And, and I'm assuming that you know, you're still here because... God's been interacting with you in a way that's, that's been meaningful for you. Well, this weekend is just, and I'm saying this from the standpoint of the folks who have always participated in this weekend will find the weekend is one of the unique experiences that they have walking away from the Alpha Course. And so, so give it a ride if you, if you have any opportunity at all to do that. It's a Friday night. You'll see the schedule there. It starts at 6.30, starts with dinner, kind of like what we do on Tuesday nights. Kind of the same schedule here. And then Saturday morning, uh, there's breakfast, and then there's another couple of sessions that are there with some discussion and catching up again on, the, on that time as well. So hopefully that'll work for you. Uh, I, I promise you, you won't regret it. It'll be a great time there. And your table host will help you with some registration stuff that's going on there. Um, well, well, here's our question for the night. It's what about the church? Uh, so we're going to dig into that in just a moment, but I, you know you don't have to raise your hands for this. But just just a question, right? As you've taken these last eight weeks and you've spent some time asking some good questions in your own life, maybe having a conversation with God from here to to there. How many of you guys have felt like you know God has has begun to do something in your life to relate to you? Just you know, is that kind of something you've experienced? as you've been going through the course. Because this next question tonight, and really maybe the, the last night as well, uh, is a little bit forward-looking to say, well, well, what about the future? You know, what, what about something beyond just these meetings, this Alpha course meeting? What, what about the future? How does that, how does that keep going? Right, how do we have moments where God just becomes more and more real to us, and we experience Him in a greater way? Because that's what God wants. He wants to be experienced and known by us, right? So let me give you, I mean, this is not in your outline just yet, but let me just give you a passage to look at with me. This is written by the Apostle Paul to a group of believers in a town called Philippi. And that's why we're, we call this letter the letter to the Philippians. And it's an interesting thing, and I'll tell you why I picked this passage out in just a moment. But let's just read what Paul had to say to the Philippians in the first century. He, said, he says, more than that, he says, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. 
the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Let me just pick something towards the end of that verse for just a moment. Verse, verse 9 says something that it's like Paul's going out of the way here. When somebody starts to say something, they say, listen, look, not this, but this over here. Right? They want to make sure that we're not picking up and hearing something that's going to be confusing. So, so Paul talks about this life, but in several places, if you were to read scripture, you'd find the apostle Paul saying this sort of thing in several places where he will come along and talk about relating to God. And he'll say, listen, not that, but this over here. And so apparently it's easy for us to get confused about this point because he clarifies this thing several times. And this is what he says. He says, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law. So not that, whatever that is. But before that sounds like some really religious sounding words from the Bible, what is he actually saying right there? What's Paul trying to say? Not that. Not a righteousness of my own derived from the law. All right, well, righteousness is kind of the key word there. But that's not a word that we use a lot of unless we're insulting somebody. You self-righteous, blah, 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 blah. Um, so what does that word even mean? Well, in the scriptures, righteousness is, is something that we have that makes us right with God. Right? The, the, the real definition for righteousness is whatever God calls right. And so when it comes to being righteous, it, it's about being right with God. And so a very important question, and I hope, I hope this has been talked about, I know Frank's talked about this a lot throughout the Alpha Course, is the thought of how does anybody get right with God? That's, that's the most important thing we could talk about. Because if there is a God who exists and he wants to relate to us, how do we get right with him? Well, Paul turns around and says, well, listen, not a rightness of my own derived from the law. So what is a rightness of my own? Well, it's Paul saying, not... Not because I figured out how to do right things before God based on a set of principles that I learned even from the Bible. right? Because the law is from the Bible. So Paul says, not that. Not like reading the Bible and learning about a moral set of principles and saying, hey, then I set out to do those the best I could. I worked hard at it. And I sought to be the very best person I could possibly be. He says, no, not that kind of rightness. But a different kind. He says, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. All right, so in this passage, there is a way to get righteousness in your life. There's a wrong way and a right way. All right, now here's where this is so critically important. If, if you and I one day, and we all will, stand before God in heaven, and, and we want to gain access, right? How many of you guys just can't, no, you just can't walk into Disney World? You say, like, hey, great place, everybody's having fun. I'm just going to show up there. They're going to let me in. Really? Why? Are, are you going to say, well, you know, I'm the biggest Disney fan there is. Oh, well, come on in. No, they're not going to do that, right? I, I have been so good. I mean, I have watched every Disney movie that's available every day of my life. Well, come on in, right? Did anybody tried this at Disney World? It, it doesn't work. You have to actually have a ticket that's been paid for, and you can show it, and then they're going to let you in. Well, righteousness is kind of like a ticket, right? When you get to heaven, let me tell you what won't get you in. Goodness won't get you in. You can't, you can't pull out a pile of goodness when you get to heaven and go, oh, give me just a second. Look at how much goodness I've saved up. Would you let me in? I mean, I'm, I'm, I bet I got more goodness than most people have. Would you let me in heaven? That, that won't get you past the, the gate. But righteousness will get you in. But the question is, where are you going to get that from? You can't get it by doing enough things, even according to God's principles. You can't even say, God, I live by your principles a lot, a lot in my life. Paul says, no, not having a righteousness of my own derived by trying to do the things that even God would want me to do. But 
What? A righteousness that comes from God through faith in Jesus Christ. That's a different thing, isn't it? Because that's the act where the Apostle Paul looked at Jesus Christ and who he is, what he did. And Jesus Christ did something unique. He lived a life that actually achieved righteousness as a human being. And the Bible makes it clear he's the only person who could have ever done that. And he did. So he lives a life that is righteous. And he, if you will, acquires righteousness in a way that he can now give it to anybody he wants to give it to. The Apostle Paul comes to God and says, I believe he has all the righteousness. I put all of my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, what he did for me. And Jesus gives to Paul righteousness. So that now Paul shows up at the gates one day, stands before God, and he's able to say, "Uh, God, I have my righteousness right here. And he presents righteousness to God. And God lets him in. Where did he get that righteousness from? Did he accumulate it throughout his whole life? No. Not that. Paul's careful to say that in multiple places. Not a righteousness of my own. But a righteousness that just comes to me through faith in Jesus Christ. He gives me his righteousness. And now I can stand before God. Now listen, this is the, if there's anything to be remembered from the Alpha Course, that's got to be the most important thing. Because ultimately we're all going to have an appointment to face God in our lives one day. And this is the only way that God relates to us. It's based on righteousness, but a righteousness that we can't create in and of ourselves. Now Paul's going to say a couple other things here. The reason why I grabbed this passage He has found something in his life that he's pretty jazzed about. He says, I count all things in my life to be loss in view of the surpassing value of something else. You guys remember, let's make a deal. Got something, you know, made a little money off the money hall. And all you old people get this. The rest of you guys are saying, don't have any idea what you're talking about. Um, So all the people who are following right now, you are old. It's official. Um, So, you know, Monty Hall gives out some money, but, you know, are you willing to give that up for what's behind curtain number one? Well, something of greater value, you hope. Well, Paul was sure. He had a life. He had things that he had worked hard to achieve. And he had some stuff that was valuable. Paul's not a slacker before we learn about him in the Bible. Paul's an achiever. Paul lives his life amongst the Jewish people, and he's a mover and shaker. He's been trained in the greatest schools, kind of like he went to Harvard, and he's got, he's got an important, influential background, and he's young and he's skilled, and he's moving up the corporate ladder, if you will. So, so Paul's a mover and shaker, and then he encounters Jesus Christ. On this road to Damascus, he encounters the living God and realizes Jesus Christ is the purpose of God for my life. And he gives his life over to Christ in that moment. And his whole life changes. Now in that moment, in giving his life to Christ, he lost all this status. He believed something that actually cost him his influence among people, his place in society. But but what I love about Paul's story is he was willing to do that. He was willing to take what he had in his life that had some value to him and to lose it all for the sake of something that he found so much more valuable. You want to know whether you've really, really encountered Jesus Christ or not? If you really have, that's how you respond. You become willing to exchange everything you have in order to have him. He's more valuable than anything else in your life. And that's how Paul responded. But what I love about Paul saying this is Paul didn't just meet Jesus yesterday. When you read this passage, he met Jesus Christ over 25 years ago from the moment he says this. So this isn't some new fad, some trendy thing that he's just kind of off and kind of high on Jesus for a little while. Oh, you'll settle down. You'll come back down to earth. No, this is 25 years plus later, and he's just as excited. He says, I, I, I've lost it all for the sake of the surpassing value of, of gaining Christ in my life. All right, so 
Let's suppose through the Alpha Course or at some point in your life, you have encountered Christ. What's that relationship going to be like to you 25 years from now? What are you going to sound like? What's your walk with God going to sound like? Is it going to be impacting? Is it going to be the richest thing you've ever had in your life? Because some of us kind of had this kind of religious thing in our background at some point. Something went on. We were raised a certain way. But let's be honest. We're in a place in our lives right now where we're not very affectionate toward God. Just not all that jazzed about him. I mean, he's there. Gratefully, he's there. We cry out to him when we get in trouble. But we're not all that excited about him. Uh, well, tonight's message in question is very much about that. God is interested in interacting with our lives in such a way that 25 years from now, we love him more than when we did when we got started. And if that's not in place in our lives, then you've got to be honest about that. If you're here tonight and you're kind of like, man, you know, God may as well be the man in the moon. I mean, I just don't connect with him. Ah, well, maybe tonight's topic is a very, very important topic to help you have a real relationship with God the way God longs to have that. So here's our, here's our question tonight. What about the church? What about the church? And, you know, you, that might not be big on your list, right? The church might not be something you've had good experiences with. Right, let me come back to that verse in a second. Um, all right, look in your outline there with me. We're all the way towards the end. We're skipping ahead a little bit. You're in advanced class. Congratulations. Uh, the last session is session 15, but this is not the last session, right? Just, you know, Frank's slow, so I'm just moving ahead because you guys are smarter than he thinks you are. Uh, but he's going to go take you back into a couple of other sessions. But uh, on page 80... You have this question, what is the church? I throw out that term church and well, that, that's, that's got meaning and, and probably baggage as well for a lot of us. And so we use that term to describe things like uh, church services. Like, hey, did you go to church today? You probably got some grandmother or aunt in your life who does that. Did you go to church today? What did she mean? Well, you know, at 10 o'clock there was a service. Did you go to that? Or where do you go to church? And we use, pick up on the word where and we say, well, I go to church to, at that church on the corner of this and that. That's where I go to church. So in those definitions, church is a meeting. Church is a building. Uh, maybe you hear the news one night, you know, the church has decided to blah, 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 blah. Well, what, what is that? Well, that's an organization. So in that use of the word, church is, is an organization with a hierarchy in it. And some people who are making some decisions that we may or may not agree with, right? maybe church is a denomination for some people. So you're coming in here tonight, you've already got something attached to this word church. So here's quite simply all we're going to do tonight. We're just going to glance into the Bible and just see how does the Bible talk about this thing called the church? And I think you'll find it describes something here that might be quite different than what, what we've experienced. It was, for me, different than what I'd experienced growing up. So that first thing that's, that's in your outline, all these little red hyphens there, the, you have friends and family and home. We'll, we'll get through a few of these, but not all of them. But the first thing that's highlighted there is friends. Church is, is friends. And, and I think that's a pretty good term, quite honestly. Uh, it's not exactly the term the Bible would use, but I think it's, it's got a lot of meaning to us because all of us have people in our lives, but there's something about your friends. They're, they're in a different group, aren't they? For somebody to be in the category to be considered a friend, there's something about them and you that has entered into some kind of an exchange, some kind of a connection, Something different than with everybody else describes how you relate to that group of friends. So I think it's a good word. But in the Bible, church is about people. Church is the people. It's not the building. It's not the meeting time. It's the people. right? So here's, here's a, a verse in the Bible that's, that's very much attached to the meaning of the church. And, and it's the Apostle Peter in the first century explaining to a group of Christians who they are. So this is a great thing that pertains to this topic tonight. He says to them, but you are a chosen race. Now, let me just say this. If you're not familiar with reading the Bible, this language from the Apostle Peter here is loaded with ideas from the Old Testament. So he's trying to say, hey, all those years ago when God was doing something amongst a, a people group, 
He says, that group has become you. You are that group that God did some stuff with years and years ago. So you have things like a chosen race or a generation of people. Because God had done that in the Old Testament. He had chosen a people for a special purpose. He says, you're a royal priesthood. You are. Now, I know this, this plays out differently depending on what part of the world you're in. Right? But this is not priesthood. There are many of you here, I grew up here in New Orleans, so if you said priesthood, I'm thinking black, collar, Catholic priesthood. That's what I'm thinking. All right, that's not what he's describing here. He's talking about the Old Testament priesthood. These people in the Old Testament who had special access to God. Right? They were the group of folks who would offer sacrifices. They would go before God with the needs of the nation of Israel. And they would make sacrifices and prayers. They would come back from God and pronounce blessings upon the people. They were unique because they had special access to God that the average person did not. So can you catch how radical this is? That the Apostle Peter turns around to a bunch of average people and says, You're that person now. God has done something special to make you to have access directly to God. No one goes directly to God on your behalf. You go directly to God. right? And that's what he says. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation like Israel was in the Old Testament. A people for God's own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, Peter's going to do something here that Paul was doing in that other verse. He's going to make sure that we don't misunderstand something. He's going to say, listen, once you were not a people. You're a people now, but once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Now, I'm making a big deal out of some of these statements because... If you don't catch the Bible emphatically trying to say those things, you will end up believing something that's not in the Bible. So what you have in that verse is the Apostle Peter telling people, now you are something that you used to not be. And I mean, that's a massively important thing. If the Bible is saying that at one point in your life you're one thing, but then at this point in your life you're something else. My question becomes, what happened in between these two moments? What makes a person go from once you were not a people, and once you had not received mercy? Oh, you were still alive. You might have been a decent person, lived in the right neighborhood, doing all kinds of things that mattered. But now, you are. You are a special people that belong to God, and you have received mercy. All right, well, what happened between these two events? What happened was that thing that Paul was describing, that by faith we receive the righteousness and the life that God offers us. And before we had done that, we were not God's people. And we had not yet received mercy. But when we do that by faith, now we are God's people. And we have received his mercy. So that's a huge thing that Peter's clarifying this just like Paul was. But... He says, this is what the church is. The church is a a people. It's people who have a purpose in this world. Their life is filled with a purpose. God had something in mind when he reached into the world and he grabbed people for himself. And he says, you are my special chosen people for my own possession. I've got a purpose for you. And that matters, right? Because I think one of the things we're all looking for is purpose in life, right? It's an interesting quote. It says, it's a classic scene in Western culture. She stands before the microphone, beautiful and poised, a finalist in the Miss America contest. The host asks her what she would like to accomplish during her reign, and she says, I'd like to create world peace, solve world hunger, liberate all the caged parakeets in the entire world. (laughs) We've all heard it a hundred times. It's been the fodder for many late-night stand-up comedy routines. Yet for all its cynical smiles and sarcastic comments in the face of the contestant's grandiosity, there is something deeply and uniquely human about what she has said. There is woven inside of each of us a desire for something more, a craving to be part of something bigger, greater, and more profound than our relatively meaningless day-by-day existence. 
Maybe that's why a human being would ever want to climb Mount Everest or traverse the oceans in an all-too-small sailboat or attempt any feat not yet accomplished by a fellow human. Perhaps that's why we get hooked on politics, sports, or myriad of causes that give us something to fight for. We simply weren't constructed to live only for ourselves. We were placed on earth to be part of something bigger than the narrow borders of our own survival and our own little definition of happiness. What if God comes along and says, you are chosen people, a royal priesthood with access to me, a holy nation, a group that's set apart so that you could show forth the excellencies of my nature and what I'm like. I've got a purpose for your life. Isn't that good news? Isn't that helpful in the sense of why did I get up this morning? Why do I face life with all of its challenges and difficulties? Well, the God of the universe actually has a purpose for my life and and for yours as well. So this first picture is that that we are gathered into a group of people, a group of people who are going to relate to one another and to God a particular way. Here's another word picture that's given how about a family? Right? You see point number two there on page 80. That, that we are, the church is a place described like a family. A family of God. Right? Here's some scriptures that kind of lay some of that out. John chapter 1, verse 11. Speaking of Jesus, he says that he came to his own, his own people, the Jewish people. And his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name. That's an important little clarifier, right? Set off by little commas. How do you receive God? By faith. Same thing Paul said, right? By believing. Not not by doing. Not by performing. But by just believing and trusting what he has said. He gave the right to become children of God. So you become part of this family in that moment. Those who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but they were born of God. So there's actually a spiritual birth that takes place in a person when they set their faith in Christ. Something massively important happens on the inside. A new life is born inside of us. So... That life is the life of God, and it's what makes us a child of God. So what does that matter for the church? Well, if we're all born of God the Father, then that makes us what? Siblings, right? We're brothers and sisters. We have a relationship with each other. Now, I know this is kind of weird in some ways. Because our understanding of family is that we always grew up. It's what we've always known. We have mom and dad in common, etc., well, this is a spiritual family. So you, you could put your faith in Christ tonight and, and five minutes ago you had not received, but now you have. And five minutes ago we were not related, but now we are. We're part of the same family. And that, that reality begins to change the way we do life towards each other. First John chapter 5, verse 1 says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. Right? When, I mean, in a family, there is, there's, there's a unique loyalty, there's a unique care for each other that takes place in a family. And that's, that's how the church is supposed to be. It's supposed to feel like a family that we relate to each other out of that kind of a relationship. But Ephesians chapter 2 uses this language as well, this household family language. It says, Jesus came and he preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. So when one, someone comes to Christ and they put their faith in Christ, they put their trust for their life, their eternity, their righteousness before God, they put that into Christ. They are born 
of the Spirit of God. A new life comes in them. And they are now in a relationship with every person who's had that same exchange with God. They're in a relationship spiritually with others who belong to the family of God. Now, pull those thoughts into the church with you for a second. And, you know, like I said, a lot of us have some previous church ideas and background. And, And maybe church never felt anything like family to you. And I, I get that. I mean, there's, there's churches that don't. And I grew up going to church and never felt anything like what we're talking about here towards other people. Just It was a bunch of strangers who had some thoughts in the same category of religion that I did. But by way of really knowing them, I mean, can you imagine... I don't know, I don't know all of your experiences in going to church, but, but imagine, you know, Thanksgiving's coming up here. Get Thanksgiving dinner going on. Uh, imagine showing up for Thanksgiving dinner with the same sort of interaction that you show up to some public restaurant. Right? When you walk in a public restaurant, you're going to go over and chum it up with everybody in the place. They don't even know you. Right? You're not walking down and say, hey, hey, you're going to eat that? You know? <laughs> Can I have that? You know, well, so how's it been going? Golly, how long has it been? You, you just don't walk. These are strangers. But on Thanksgiving dinner, you're going to relate to family in a different way because you're family. It's going to change your relationship. But God's using those terms not to describe your natural family, but to describe your spiritual family. The one that you are relating to just because you're trusting Christ and born of God. And now he's your father and somebody else's father as well. So there's relationship, but there's one other thing here. And this this carries some weight. There's responsibility in family as well. And this is why families sometimes break down is because we're irresponsible towards each other. And we don't take up our rightful responsibility for each other. But, you know, that's one of the reasons why church is this empty experience for a lot of people. And we've got to own this for ourselves. We come to a group of meetings with a bunch of people in it, and we don't have any sense of responsibility for anybody there. We don't own their well-being. We don't even know what's going on with them. Not paying attention to their lives. When they get under a burden or life gets hard or they stumble and fall and they're in pain, we don't even know that. We're just in a building with a bunch of strangers. That's not what God had in mind. God had in mind something that felt like a family. So not only am I going to be receiving family care, but I'm going to be giving it as well. Right? I mean, you guys, if you've got relatives, you've got brothers or sisters, even when you get older and something happens in their life, you feel this sense of responsibility to show up and make a difference in that moment. Do whatever you can. Well, God said that's not just for your natural family. That's for your spiritual family as well. Here's another picture here. Number three there is the, the sense of home. And I don't know why the Alpha people label this home because it's, it's, it's a bad, cute little word choice there. What they really mean is this temple thing, this thing that's in the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And it's called the, the temple. So we'll, we'll use their term home, but here's their passage, right? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 to 22, is going to describe something that, if you want to say it's home, it's home for God dwelling amongst people. So, so then, You are no longer strangers and aliens, but your fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Now he's going to change his illustration here. He's going to go from the strangers and aliens and the family thing into a building, into a temple. And so these temples were all over uh, ancient Greece, ancient Israel. So you had these temple, massive temple buildings. He says, we're like that built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place of God by the Spirit. Right? So this is, again, it's just a group of average Christians Relating to God. And Paul turns around and says, you are being built together into this building where God dwells among you in a special way. And, and then the Apostle Peter picked this same illustration up there in First Peter chapter 2. He says, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. So, in the room, 
God would see living stones, right? And God, this great builder, is building a house, if you will, where his life and his presence is going to dwell in a unique way. So if God is a builder, he's, he's taking these stones and he's putting them in place and he's building this relationship between these stones, right? And nobody builds, if you get any builders here, contractors, you don't, you don't just throw stones into a pile. That, that's not a building. That's a pile of rocks. But what God does is he selects stones and then he puts them in place. And he goes and selects another stone and he, and he puts that one in place. And he does it carefully, right? And kind of like you know, pulled, building a brick wall here. At some point, you, you lay that first stone and then you lay stones beside it and eventually you get up to here and you put this stone here and you carefully set it against this stone and this stone. And then you come back and you put a couple more stones next to it and, and then some stones on top of it. And you, next thing you're building a building here. But this is a rich picture that what God does in building these relationships is like, you know, if, if you're this brick right here, what God did in caring for you was he gathered you from some far off place and he brought you into the building that he's building. And he put you right here on top of this person and that person. So in a very real way in the church, your, your life is set upon others. You come into a relationship with God and, you know, like most of us, we're just trying to learn this thing, figure it out. But there's other people that God puts us in relationship with. And these people hold us up. They support us. They help us through times that are hard and times that are confusing. They help us kind of get wheels on our life. And, you know, it's interesting. Then God puts people around us. Right? There's, he's going to hand select these stones, and he's going to put them in place. That means the people that are around you as a part of a church, God has selected certain people to be a part of your life, to walk with you on, on one side and the other. And then one day, you're going to walk with God for a while, and God is going to take somebody else and put them on top of you. And you're going to hold them up. And you're going to play a role in their life to support the things that God is doing in their life to help them relate to God, to help them grow. Listen, sounds to me like the church is a pretty functional place, isn't it? There's a lot of relationships that give and take and that share with one another and God has strategically put them there. So just think with me for a second. If you're like me, you grew up going to church and none of that was happening. I couldn't have pointed to anybody that my life was sitting on, that was upholding me, that was helping me, that was investing in me. I couldn't tell you who I was walking with. And I don't think there was anybody I was helping who was on top of me that God had placed there. So even though I was going to something called church, it didn't sound like this kind of church. And these are the illustrations God uses to bring this thing to life to help us understand something. But let me add one more thing here in this passage. We're being built together, that last little phrase, into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now, if you read the entire New Testament in particular about how God dwells among people, there's two dimensions to how God does that. God wants to dwell individually in every person's soul. Right? And that's that what we do when we decide by faith to entrust our lives to Christ. He takes up his dwelling in each of us individually. But then he says there's another dimension of how he dwells among us. It's in this place called the church. It's in this building that he's building. And he dwells among our relationships in a special way. So that you actually, as you relate to one another these ways, you actually encounter God. And God doesn't just become this lofty idea, this far off man in the moon kind of a thing. No, no, you actually encounter the presence of God as you do life with one another. That's how God intended for us to do this. So these pictures are rich and they're very important. Let me give you one more here. And this one's kind of, kind of familiar to us. It's that, that point number four um, mentions Jesus, but it jumps right into we are the body of Christ through whom the world will see Jesus. And you've heard that term. If you've been around church at all, you've heard the term the body of Christ. And I don't know if you connected it or not, but the church is the body of Christ. Well, where does this picture come from? Right? Here's where it comes from. The Apostle Paul writes this letter to the Corinthians. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he talks about how the Holy Spirit uniquely lives in each person 
in a similar way that our body has these unique members of it. It's got fingers and toes and hands. And he uses that illustration, the body of Christ. He says, but one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. For even as the body is one, yet it has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. We were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. And then he's going to go on here beyond this passage, and he's going to say, hey, if the foot... You know, if you're a foot in the body, should say, hey, because I'm not a hand, I'm not all that important. Well, he's not for any less reason important, right? God's made him a foot. And he goes on and uses this illustration to educate every person that you're a foot, you're a toe, you're an eye, you're an ear. You have some special, unique function in this one thing called the body of Christ, And so it's another image of helping us understand what is this thing that we're a part of called the church? Well, it's the body of Christ. And have you ever thought of all your talents, of all your personality traits, of all the ways that you are a unique individual? Have you ever thought that God uniquely made you to be a body part in his body? That you do something in the setting of the church that's, that's uniquely designed by God for you. And he gives you that place to play in his people. So that we can experience God together. Right? That, that's what this image is. Now, some people have a view of being a part of church and being a part of the body of Christ. Where none of these things that I just talked about are true. It's a, it's a very independent, very individualistic thing. Matter of fact, some of us kind of grew up with this mantra. I don't know where we learned it, but, you know, I just, I just think uh, religion and faith is a very personal thing. It's a very personal thing. And so it almost creates this idea that you and God are off to the side doing your little special thing, your own little special way, and, and everybody else needs to mind their own business and just kind of stay out of all that. That's just you and God. Does this sound like it's just you and God? Right? I mean, I don't know what your view is of body parts, but... Let's just suppose tonight on your way out to get in the car, you stop, you drop something out of your purse, and you go to pick it up, and there's a finger by itself sitting in the parking lot. Just by itself. Just a finger. Can you imagine your response in that moment? Are you going to be going, Honey, come and see that. Look how beautiful. (laughs) It's a finger. Look at it just sitting there by itself. Right, there's something creepy and weird and stomach-turning about a finger just sitting there by itself. But you know, when you attach it to the hand, it's, it's kind of cool what this finger does. right? And it looks like it just is in the right place and it makes sense and your stomach doesn't want to go, oh, finger, great. Uh, I'm a finger by myself in a parking lot. Uh, God had a connection in mind. So if you're, if you're a finger... And you don't know anything about the hand. You know nothing about the elbow. You don't know anything about that. But here you're going to wake up tomorrow morning. You're going to find your way through life. And you're going to try to figure out who you're supposed to be in this world. Can I just tell you, if you happen to be a finger, if you don't figure out who the hand is and who the elbow is, you have no idea who you are. Good luck. And see, that's kind of what we do, right? We, we go through life as these hyper-individuals who we get educated, we figure out our talents, we build our world around the things that we like, and we try to exclude things that we're not really a part of. But God turns around and says, no, 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 you're, you're, a, you're a brick that I put in a particular place around other bricks. You're a body part that needs the other body parts. You need to play your part. Other things and other people are going to need to play their part in your life as well. Right, so this is the imagery that God uses to try and create an impression of what about the church? What exactly is this thing called the church? Now, listen, for too many people, I'll conclude with this thought. For too many people, 
church is a, is a disappointing experience, uh, and then maybe it's got some issues. And it'd be fun a little bit to talk about some of that tonight at the tables. Just just talk about, hey, what, what's our experience been like in church, right? So uh, let me see if this is your experience. Um, get up Sunday morning, try to find the church that is closest as possible to where you live. Um, drive there just in time to get in. When you walk in, somebody gives you a piece of paper on the way in. You know, maybe a decent, polite exchange with that one person. But for the most part, you won't have a conversation with another person in the building the entire time that you're there. You be there 45 minutes to an hour. Uh, you strategically park as close as you can to the door. Or if you've been there before and you know it all lets out at the same time, you strategically find the spot that gets you in line to get out of there the fastest. And so you know these things. So after 45 minutes or an hour, you beeline, get to your car, get out of that parking lot and go home. All right, now question. Did I just describe a trip to church or a trip to Walmart? Right, now for some people, honestly, there isn't much of a difference, is there? But God had some radically different things in mind. Right, if, if our experience sounds too much like a Walmart experience... Uh, God, God's got better for us. And God's got something richer for us. If church is not a group of friends who are on a mission together, right? You remember some of the dearest people in your life are probably going to be some of your classmates and teammates especially. Right? What was it that made that relationship gel and there was chemistry that was there? Because you are a group of friends on a mission together. Well, I find that all over the Bible. These people are a group of friends who are on a mission in the name of God together. If church doesn't feel like family relationships, people that we are excited to be with, that we want to care for, that we receive care from each other, that we know each other's lives, we know what's going on, we're affected by what's affecting one another. If that's that's not church for some, and that's made church uninteresting and boring and irrelevant to their existence. If when you go to church, you cannot remember feeling like, I just experienced God in this place. Right? I know that can sound kind of weird, but in the Bible, people walked out saying, God was here. Like, well, no, I thought God was everywhere. Well, you know, sometimes he shows up in such a way that the doubt is gone. You encounter him in such a way that something in you knows it was touched by God. Right? Does, that, does that ever happen when you go to a church activity? And real roles, real functioning roles where you have responsibilities. You know, you're, you're part of this body and other people do towards you. Right? Listen, that's what, when you press God's button on church, that's what comes out of him. These are the images that he describes what church is like. All right, so here's what I'm jealous for. And, and listen, I didn't grow up wanting to be a pastor. You know, I, I was an incredible athlete when I'm younger. I just want you to know that. Um, so I thought I was probably the next Tom Brady um, for sure. Yeah, I was. I'm just trying to be humble about it. But uh, it didn't work out for whatever reason. And uh, I had to go get a real job and do some other things in life. But I, you know, I wasn't like, I want to be a pastor in, in my life. It's not what I grew up around. I wasn't familiar with that at all. But at some point, God made clear that hey, this, this is how I want you to, this is the part of the body that I want you to be. And playing that role was just a response to what I, I think God wanted for, for me in my life. But it's given me a jealousy for the role that the church plays in people's lives. Not, that, not the role that somebody who speaks from a pulpit plays, but the role the church plays in our lives. So that if you're here tonight and you're saying, hey, you know what, I've been a part of the Alpha Course, or you know, maybe before I even came to the Alpha Course, I just, I just knew God was calling out to me. And I just wanted more from him, and, and I've really been open, and I've been asking God to come do some great things in my life. All right, well, what I want for you as a pastor is I want 25 years from now, I want you to sound like the Apostle Paul. I want you to sound as excited and as alive that day as you are in that moment right now. How are you going to get there? The church is going to be a massive part of how you're going to get there. 
Those influential relationships are going to serve you and help you in knowing God and in fulfilling God's mission and purpose in your life. So here's what I hope you'll do. You know, when you get past the Alpha course, uh, keep going. But, but you don't have to figure out a way to keep going. Like, oh, I'll, I'll make something up. No, no, God's got ways to keep going with him. Right? Reading your Bible, praying and relating to him, getting around other Christians and relating to people who are walking with God. Well, that's what the church does. So what I'd encourage you to do is when you get to the end of the Alpha Course, you've got a couple more weeks. On the other side of that, have a plan for what you're going to do in terms of being a part of a church. Have a plan for that. Keep going. And what God has started. And, and listen, if you're, if you're not sure what to do with that, hey, you know, I, I told you from the beginning, we're, we're not on a membership drive here. So this, we're not going to try to sign you up to something. Uh, but you've gotten to know some folks here. If God's calling you to be a part of a, a family, you don't know where to go, you're welcome. Be a part of what God's doing here. Be a part of the lives of the people that have been sitting at your table uh, with you. And see if God's got you here for it. Maybe it's just for a season. Maybe he's got somewhere else for you that he wants you to be eventually. But don't leave that category empty. It's too rich. It's too important. Make sure it's functioning in your life. If you're one of those people who says, oh, you know, I, I kind of go to church you know, every once in a while. All right, well, somehow, whatever, whatever's going on in that church, it's, it's not grabbing your attention enough. And can I just tell you, you know, you only go around once in life. Figure out a way to live the purpose God has for you all out. If, you, if you're a part of a church that's just kind of blind. I mean, I've had people say this, not uncommon. We'll get some feedback from everybody who attends, a little form that folks fill out. It is not uncommon for many of those forms to say this. I have learned more during the Alpha Course than I have in all my years of going to church. Not unusual for people to say that. Here would be my suggestion to you. If you're a person who feels that way at all, Whatever church you came from before you came here, do not go back there. I'm serious. Because, I mean, I love Frank. I've known Frank forever. Um, I promise you, you haven't learned anything deep here. You've just learned the basic things that are in the Bible about a life relating to God. If wherever you've been spending your time on Sundays hasn't put you on a collision course with these things on a regular basis, can I just beg you, find somewhere to go where you can come alive to God. God's got so much more for you than maybe what you've experienced so far. So if we can help with that, we'd love to. We've got some information there for you. If you've got a relative that you trust, go into a good church, you see the difference in the impact it's having in their life, and you want to go check that out, hey, just call them up this week. Say, hey, could I come to church with you on Sunday? Now listen, it might be a little different. You might feel like it's a little bit weird, but you know, this was probably weird for you as well when you came in here, but we're all alive. We haven't drank the Kool-Aid yet and hadn't gotten too weird. Uh, just give it a chance and see what God might do in your life. But can I just, please don't leave this category of your life empty. Keep going with God. Get into a church where you can keep learning about God and knowing him and walking with others the way these descriptions that were in the Bible talked about tonight. All right. Uh, guys, let's take a five-minute break. Run to the bathroom real quick. Uh, hey, don't forget at tables, if you guys are interested and going to be a part of the weekend, please uh, see if you can fill out some forms and notices there. And we'll be back in five minutes for some table discussions.